Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mantra and Magic. Today, we have a beautiful guest on that we've been super excited to meet, Susanna Darling-Khan, who is an experienced and dedicated teacher of embodied awareness. She has spent so much of her professional life playing the role of evolution in our human presence on this planet, bringing it into a humane human presence. Her work enables people to deepen their compassion towards themselves, each other, and the biosphere. She did an 18-year apprenticeship with Gabrielle Roth in that beautiful movement practice, and it evolved into something that she channeled with her husband, Yaakov Darling Khan, movement medicine. And it is it, it is transformational, 100%. Having gotten the chance to practice it a little bit myself, um, I know it says that it's an embodied practice and most people don't know what that means, but it it's bringing the spirituality into your physical form in a way that not many other teachers are offering right now. And I am so excited to have her here to talk about all of these embodied listening skills that she's bringing to thousands of people around the world with her course embodied listening and what it's been like to move through those three decades with a, a partner because not many people know what that experience is like either and being a mother and the spirituality and depth that comes from that life choice from walking as a person who's taking care of another small human so thank you so much Susanna for joining us on the show today Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here and hope I can contribute something to you who are listening that is useful in your life. Because right now I think we could all do with some, some support. It's a, it's a challenging time. If we want to just go ahead and dive in, I'm very grateful to, 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 to you for being able to join us, especially since we have such a wonky time difference, uh, Susanna. Um, you and uh, your husband have both had backgrounds in shamanic practices is kind of where you started off is, is, is from my understanding of, of your practice, uh, whether that's through uh, dance or through, um, through uh, I guess the Western term would be scrying um, when it comes to like uh, traveling in the spirit realm. What can you say in regards to uh, your path, your journey, the, the very, very simple and very strong injunction, which is the thing that stays with me as like a guiding principle in my life, is as above, so below. So like that, which means, as, as I understand it, if you have a, a vision or an idea or an ideal, it doesn't mean nothing unless you ground it, unless you walk your talk, basically. And that everything in terms of life and how we are with our children for instance how we do our business how we orientate with money and politics and everything has to align up with our um vision which for me is always always about stars i feel i get so much guidance from from the as above from this the stellar beings up there and then it's it's about grounding it in practical day-to-day -day life and and aligning, which brings us back to body, heart, and mind. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but as you were speaking also about me and Yakov and having been together for these, um, oh my goodness, it is actually 34 years since we met, which is, is a little bit shocking. It's probably since uh, before you were born, I imagine, Amy. <laughs> Don't know about you, Jer. But we met through, um, in, a, in a way, through Starhawk. Do you know Starhawk's work? Love her, yes. Yeah. Spiral Dance and the Fifth Sacred Thing, which is one of the kind of classic books of our of our life, in terms of a kind of guidebook or inspiration to really to wake up and bring polit political action and activism together with spirituality as well. And that's the same thing that as above, so below. But um, I won't go into the story now unless you think it's useful. But Yakov and I met through we wouldn't have met without Starhawk. She brought our two circles together in London and. That was that really oh. so fantastic i i mean i'd be happy to hear it and i think i've had a lot of people who are clients whether it's reading tarot for them or astrology for them who say do you see my partner do you see the the beloved coming to me and i'm like well 
to you. <laughs> I feel like so many of us um, have wanted it so badly, have wanted that walk of partnership or, or what um, you two are doing with this, or at least what I perceive you doing with being able to be fully independent, autonomous, beautiful, whole selves walking in partnership because that doesn't happen frequently. Usually it's really beautiful codependency where they can't move without the other. Um, and to see that and to witness that, what a wonderful example. And like, how, how do you hold that in your relationships? How do you hold each other accountable to stay that way and to not fall into the codependency? That's a good question. Wow. So there's, in what you are saying now, there was kind of, as I heard it, there were two threads. I just want to check which one you want me to, to go with. And one was about that when there's that longing, like, do you see my partner? That, that initial thing of how did it happen? How did that window open? Um, there's that bit. And then there's the ongoing work or... Can you do both? Can you start with the, sure, how you witnessed each other and then how you move through it now? Yeah. When we met... I was 23. Yakov was 22. He's exactly nine months younger than me. So we have some jokes about that. <laughs> what was happening in the spiritual world when, when he was conceived and I was born. So I was 23 and I had had a very wild time uh, sexually. I'd really enjoyed playing the field, if you like, and just being a very lusty, free young woman. I was very, very clear. I was never going to get married, I was never going to have children, and I was never going to live with a man. I was having relationships with men, but I wasn't going to live with a man, let alone get married, let alone have kids. Ha ha ha. <laughs> and um, I got to this point, having been having all these kind of multiple, always open and honest and whatever, but very, um, what's now called polyamory, which it was not around then. I, anyway, we called it multigamy. Um, having had that kind of time. And I got to this point when I felt like, I wanna be with one man to be held accountable, exactly those words, to be all of myself with one man, to support him to be all of himself with all of me and, and to kind of integrate all my different selves rather than being this part of me with him and this part of me with him and this part of me with her and just like to be whole. And I remember talking about that with a, with a former lover and he reflected back to me. So this also comes back to embodied listening and reflection. He said, it sounds like you're saying you're ready for the one. And I hadn't put it like that to myself. But when he said that, I was like, you're right, I am. So I said to the great spirit, okay, I'm ready, bring him on. And, um, and I stopped all my, I let all my lovers know that's, thank you very much, and story. And two weeks later, Yakov was in the garden of the women's squat. Do you, do you know what squat is in America? It's um, something that used to happen a lot in Europe, still does a little bit, where there's an empty house and you, you kind of invade it and you take care of it until the owners are ready to do something with it. And it used to be legal, not illegal, but legal. Really? You were, you, you were actually maintaining the property. Okay. So we were, there was a whole, uh, in northwest London, northeast London where I used to live, there was a whole community of radical alternative squatters. So I lived in a women's squat and we looked after this house and that was owned by the council. There we were. So Yakov was in the garden of this squat where there happened to be lots of roses and rose bushes and flowers and he was on a, in a peace meeting and I was indoors revising for my finals in anthropology which I was studying and I felt like going outside for a breath of fresh air and we saw each other through the rose bushes and it was not love at first sight but it was recognition we both had this like oh I know you I've met you before and um, like, have we? And we tried to work it out and we realized that as far as we know, we hadn't met before, but it was like a soul recognition. And then, and then he went on with his meeting and I went indoors. Then at the end of the evening, we 
we sang together. I got my guitar out and we were singing together in the garden, which we didn't do again for 20 years. It's really weird. It was right there at the beginning, music. And then we had a hug at the end of that evening before he left. And for me, it was just like a jigsaw piece meeting the other jig, you know, just like clunk. And I was like, oh, this is it. And then he was not in, he was still in a relationship with somebody else that had an end date and he was being very honourable with that. Um, that was a whole nother story, but they, they had this clear end date, which was several months to come in the future. And then my whole spiritual practice then was, if I'm going to be with this man, it has to be absolutely clean and free. I need, so I kept um, just basically saying, whatever is in the highest interest of our souls, let it be so. I let go of my, I'm trying to let go of my attachment to this. And we had several months then of not seeing each other and sending each other letters and just being, having in a way an old fashioned courtship. And, and I remember sitting under a full moon on a mountain in the Lake District, which is very beautiful, a bit like Boulder, Colorado, that sort of thing, but on a smaller scale in the UK and really recognizing I need to, I need to just keep cleaning and letting, letting go of any strings I might be putting out there. That was really important that he, if he came to me, it was absolutely free. It's like I work now with my horses. You know, if they come to work with me, they are free to leave. They're not imprisoned. They're not, you know, it's a, it's a voluntary choice and I think it's so important I was incredibly lucky as well you know two weeks after having that thing he was there I don't understand what made that happen for me and I know other women who are absolutely gorgeous on every level and who have been praying for their man for years so I really don't know what that's about except there is a grace of timing that one of my teachers Chloe Goodchild says there is a grace there's a mystery and a grace to timing that we are not in control of and that we just have to surrender um, to how things are and know what we want but not put that on any one particular person so that's what I would say to any woman who's listening to this who's or man who's praying or person you know whatever your gender whatever identifications if you're praying for the partner for the one yes pray know what you want and ask for it ask the great spirit for that but don't hang that on any one particular person. But I think that's what you want. <laughs> I'll do so that was my answer to that one. <laughs> that's good. Obviously, we are all a work in progress, right? That's definitely something that we all kind of have to deal with. And for I think for me, especially like wanting to be perfect and finding a relationship was kind of like, I'm going to put it off and put it off and put it off. I definitely did that in my early 20s. And then I ended up getting married, not ready in my late 20s went through a couple of relationships in my thirties and then met my partner, uh, when I was in my late thirties, uh, you know, and was, I still don't feel like I was ready, but I was ready for her. So when it comes to still being able to let go of perfectionism with ourselves and going into a relationship where you are showing up, uh, completely imperfect, can you speak to that when it comes to like being able to work with that when, where maybe you don't have a partner who is as patient as you would hope that they would be? Wow, yeah. thank you. I'm just really <laughs> stunned by what you said at the, right at the end about patience. Because that is definitely a theme for me and Yakov, or has been, that very particular theme. So, so the question you're asking, I think, is about perfection and imperfection. We have a, or I have a little saying that we are, we are imperfectly perfect, or we are perfectly imperfect. And the path of relationship that we are living is about it's not about being perfect it's about being real and through being real and and building the trust through which we can open the doors to revealing the i was going to say the naked um beauty and flaws or fears or wounds of our own souls of our own beings of our own hearts, that is where the healing is and the beauty and the love 
that um, continues to amaze us over these three decades. Because as you say, there are very few examples of long-term relationship which is not resignation or putting up with um, or, or running off, but actually staying with and going on growing together. Um, so it is very much about embracing the imperfection in ourselves and each other and at the same time working at that edge just like with yoga like working the edge and not over pushing because there was there was a long time when we were really clear both Yakov and myself that his impatience with me was an issue and it was it was an issue he'd inherited it from his familial setting and that we knew about and we were addressing it and trying to address it and you know and and there was a level on which i had to and he had to tolerate that ongoing imperfection because it we couldn't get to the root of it so we you know we had enough resilience between us and i had enough resilience to, to handle it and not get completely you know and crushed or whatever by it but the big breakthrough which really really shocked us when we when we had it we were we were walking down a beach and then in the night time we got our camper van we parked on the beach we'd gone to a restaurant and we were walking back from the restaurant with this just water lapping lapping the stones of the beach and during that walk for some reason I was able to see myself and how critical I kept being of Yaakov over and over and over again I was correcting him I was putting him right about stupid little details that didn't matter at all I was being kind of pedantic I was being yeah like talking to him as if I was you know kind of bossy elder sister at best if not a kind of dictatorial mother or, or something it's like and it was like a window opened oh I'm not shouldn't probably swear but you know you know what I was going to say me what it was like seeing the other half of this puzzle of how how down on him i was like no wonder he had a, a build-up i'm not blaming myself for what happened between us but suddenly we could see the systemic nature of it which feminism as it you know wonderful and important as it is had actually conditioned me, us to look at me as the victim of male aggression rather than going there's a dance at play here and it's not just me comporting myself as if I've done something wrong it's actually me comporting myself as if he's done something wrong all the time like well not all the time but you know as a ongoing kind of needle of you could say perfectionism like um interestingly to come back to that my perfectionism or my impatience mm -hmm. and that was a major major breakthrough in our relationship was me owning my nastiness my aggression towards him and and then we we could see how the defense mechanisms between us had held a kind of armor of i'll let you in and i'm with you for the duration but only this deep you know or whatever mm -hmm. it is there's a limit and i'm sure there still is but it's gone way back but what i've gone through um, through the menopause, particularly of really, really um, allowing myself to to surrender to my need to be supported by his strength as I go through that major initiation that is not talked about nearly enough, along with motherhood and birth and all that that we'll get to. Um, that's been such a deal for for me, and it's and it's bringing so such deep harvest. Um, God, there's so much to share. share but anyway, guide me. What do you want to know now? We need to have a three-hour show, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'll let, I'm going to let Amy go back, but I do want to follow up just by saying, um, I mean, I know it's it's always a journey. We all have a lot that we're, it's always, like I said, it's a, we're all a work in progress. Um, and it's it's like the whole idea of embodied listening in and of itself for ourselves as well, not just not just in what our inner soul is saying, but like what we are literally saying, like it's hard for us to kind of see our patterns, I think a lot of the times, which is why people go to counseling to try to have this feedback um, or to have somebody mirror back to us. And 
it just, that seems like so often it takes a long time to find the right counselor. And then that can still take, you know, years for you to actually have a breakthrough. So having somebody that you're constantly living with, whether it is a partner or a kid, which is something that Amy and I have definitely discussed before too, having a little one in the house who goes, why did you just do that? And then you're like, oh my God, did I, I, you don't even realize some of your habits a lot of the times. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was in, um, I think it was in Jaguar in the Body, Butterfly in the Heart that he said, you're, one of your guys's questions for Gabrielle when you were apprenticing with her was like, we're considering having a child. And she's like, get ready for a, a Buddhist Zen master to live with you. <laughs> I thought that's so perfect because they are like, I used to joke and call him my little baby Buddha. Cause he was so fat. My first son <laughs> and he's, his name's blue. So he's like the blue Buddha. And, um, he, he would just stare at people and I would find myself getting impatient or getting like frustrated or doing something. And he'd just look at me like, do you really want to be doing that right now, mom? Is that really your true nature? Is that really what's going on? Or is there something deeper here? And now he does it unconsciously as a four-year-old where he's, he says things like that. But I'm sure the two of you got to experience something entirely different because you were just starting the apprenticeship when you had him, right? Yeah, we were, well, yeah, we met in 86. We apprenticed to Gabrielle in 88. Eight. We started teaching Five Rhythms in 89 and we had Reuben in 91. We got married in 89 and we, we had Reuben in 91. Yeah, so so he's coming up to 30 now and uh, quite a being. Yeah, I mean, totally. What was it like to be in that state of apprenticeship and stepping into the role of leader and teaching while also devoting time? to a little human. I love how you said that, a little human, exactly. Well, we were really inspired by, um, or Gabrielle, first of all, who really, really honored the family path as a central path of becoming more human and developing spiritually in a, in a real way and, and long-term relationship as well, um, obviously as part of that. And also we were, very inspired by a book called The Continuum Concept. I don't know if you know that by Jean Lidloff, um, who had gone on a diamond hunting expedition in the Amazon, um, had a canoe accident and got um, lost, kind of lost her, her crewmates and ended up being taken care of by an Amazonian tribe who were living, again, it's funny, isn't it? This theme keeps coming up of the Amazonian peoples, indigenous peoples. And she lived with them for several months before she was rescued um, and really observed how they took care of their children and how, yeah, how much the children were just obviously completely part of life. And I had a little bit of my childhood in Africa, so I was also very inspired by having just grown up with the Kenyan women having their babies on their back you know, while they're plowing the fields, while they're grinding the manioc, while they're doing you know, everything they're doing, the, the babes are there. So Reuben just, just came with us. He was, so I, I'd had a dream whilst I was pregnant. And in the dream, I was in a classroom at school. And on the blackboard was written, career or mother. And I just got the rubber and rub, rubbed out or and put and. And... And what that meant for me, and it's dancing is a very, very unusual profession, particularly the kind of dance we're doing. It's not like ballet. So it's not a form, it's it's more about you you go with what's actually real in that moment. So I would have him, I would breastfeed him and just go on teaching. He was he was part of it, he was on my hip, he was on Yakov's shoulders, he was later on he was with a caretaker who was also a dancer, and the caretaker would follow his energy to leave us and come back to us so they would go out to play somewhere and then they come back and in all his time as part of those work workshops or being just with us we only needed to ask him to change his behavior once and that's when he would got into roller skating when he was at seven and the people were painting uh, on the floor 
with big pieces of paper and he was roller skating around all the people's paintings and that was a bit too much and we had to ask him to quiet down a little bit but he just had this natural appropriateness and he's extraordinary in groups now he he's an extraordinarily embodied knower of himself i won't say, say more about him because that's really his story but um yeah but obviously if you're in an office or something it's much much harder that kind of you know what do you do when you want to sue the baby you, you sing and you dance that's you know you you jiggle around with them when you when on your hip and then soon you've got a, a quiet baby a sleeping baby and so that worked extraordinarily well and that was also his character we were blessed and who came through there so for us it was really like a it wasn't an either or he came with us on the road with his childcare person who was also the dancer who we just threaded together for the first few years till he was five or something and then we began to leave him sometimes with my parents or the childcare person and worked out how to do that. But for the beginning, he was just simply with us. So we, we were very, very privileged in our form of work that we could do that. But also we were very courageous in saying, that's how it is. I mean, I never, ever contemplated it being a problem when it wasn't. That's such a beautiful thing, that last bit that you said. You never contemplated it being a problem, and so it wasn't. And um, I don't know how many people have the strength of character to step into that and say, this is just how it is. This is how I'm going to be. And um, I, I admire that as a woman who would bring my babies into whatever I was doing and be breastfeeding while teaching. And people would look at me strangely. And I was like, this is, this is how they are. Their, their aura hasn't even fully formed yet. <laughs> Let me hold my child. And you stepping did that into that. How beautiful, Amy. I I didn't do it as much as I wanted because sometimes um, the yoga practice I was doing, because it's vinyasa based, you have to either demonstrate the poses or you have to have a very quiet environment. And so you can't always be bouncing and singing. But whenever I was doing women's circles or that sort of thing, I was able to bring them. Um, and I was lucky that Jer lived with us for about a year and he cared for Blue while I had my second. And so Quest and I got to bond a little bit while Jeremy was the runaround caretaker, dancer, singer, Omer extraordinaire. Oh, wow. What an amazing, mutually supportive situation. That's beautiful. Wow. And now both babies own a lot. <laughs> They're used Get to your started big, early. Yeah, your big booming voice. <laughs> but I don't I think you're you're one hundred percent spot on, Susanna, with the the privilege of that and recognizing that for for every one of us who's been able to step into whatever it is we're teaching or sharing or leading with a child on our hip because we aren't sitting down at a computer for eight hours. Yeah, I mean, it just does not work yeah. with a baby. No, they need action. They need to be, I mean, that's my experience. They need to be in, in the flow of life. Yeah, with dance or, or walking about or hiking. The, other th the only other profession I thought would be a long distance walker, you know, when you carry them on your back. That's, that's, that would work with a baby, but there are very few. Yeah. yeah. For our, uh, I'll say for our culture, especially in, in the US, uh, there's seems to be an imposition of, of spirituality on kids, like get them in early, get them baptized, you know, uh, for, from, from y'all's approach, uh, how exactly did you do that with, with having kids? I know that for a lot of cultures, it's a lot different. Um, Indigenous cultures, the kids are just running around, like you said, they're part of, they're not something to be quieted, there's something to be included in the actual, every other festivity, because they're, they're the next, they're the next generation of the tribe. So um, when it came to your, your practice, how exactly was that as well? Well, that's interesting. Let me just back up slightly in terms of what you're saying about Indigenous people, because our experience is that they are, they are running around, they're having fun, they're doing their thing, but also they are expected to respect adult space. So when the adults are having a meeting, they are expected to be quiet and to really respect that, 
this is what's happening. If you want to make a noise, go over there. There's lots of jungle, you know, there's lots of... And um, Nelson Mandela says the same thing in his biography, his autobiography, that, that they don't understand, his, he and his people don't understand why we are so over-tolerant of our children being inappropriate in adult spaces. So we, we, had, we just did this, and maybe this answers the second bit of your question, you can tell me. We followed what Jean Liedloff writes about in the continuum concept, that if the child is being inappropriate, that's just in terms of what the adults need to do. Now, say we're having a serious conversation, or say we're meditating and we're in deep, we do need quiet. And you know, baby's sounds, particularly if they're distressed, can be very difficult in that moment. So it wasn't like include everything, everything goes, everything's fine. It wasn't like that at all. It was just like if that happened, we would recognize he needs to make a noise, the people need to be quiet. So either I or Yakov or the childcare person would take him outside with no reprimand at all. It's just that the needs are different right now. And we would call them the people. The people are being quiet, so we're going outside. And then when, you, when you're ready, when you've done whatever needs to happen here, then we'll go back in. And it was really without admonishment, but with clarity, this, these two things don't go together. And what happened incredibly fast was he wanted to be with the people. And not because he was being punished, not because he was being told off, not because he was being told how to be, but it was just clear, noise over here, quietness here. You want to be over here? And then, I don't, it was like he got it through a kind of, just picking up the vibe really. Again, maybe it was about expectation. We didn't expect it to be a problem and, and therefore it wasn't. But, but I did take him out a few times and there were two of us teaching at that point. So... I wasn't abandoning the group. Yakov was with the group and I was with Ruben. It was normally like that. But sometimes the other way around, depending on what was needed. Um, right. So we had a child that um, that we never shouted at and yet was more well-behaved than almost every child I've ever met. More like just picking up what's appropriate here and being that. And it's something about this clarity that's not about instructing them how to be but just saying you can do that but you need to do that over here this mm -hmm. is what's happening here and we didn't you know it wasn't even something we we said it was just something we did so i think there's a i think in in western culture where people are trying to include kids oftentimes there's a real misunderstanding about what that means in terms of indigenous people and actually it ends up being the kids are allowed to just make an absolute Havoc pulls up right. cells in shops and you know make a mess and make a noise and the adults can't concentrate and it doesn't work actually for the kids or the grown-ups and so oftentimes we 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 end up being stricter with our friends' kids than our friends are and the kids turn around and totally love us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always I always really appreciated my teachers that were a lot more strict. You know, the ones that, that kind of put you in your place or had higher expectations of you. It's very much the Saturn energy when it comes to the planetary, like having that grandfather that's kind of like, hey, like you really appreciate grandpa. You know, he's the one who's going to he's he's done something right. He's, he made it this far. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate, too, what you're saying, like being able to have kids understand and want to be engaged and involved in what the parents are doing and not just in the way that, again, I speak from a Western perspective, but like, you know, seeing my uncles or or or, 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 or uh, my parents didn't really drink or smoke, but like seeing family members that drank and smoked, it's like, oh, that's what you get to do when you're older, you know, or, you know, whatever, getting up to stay up late, as opposed to, you know, this is going to be, again, you're going to be the one who's leading this culture later on in life. So you need to be a part of it now to understand, you might not get it completely, you know, it may take a little while, but go, like you said, go make your noise over here and then come back in. And then you can be a part of what we're doing. It might be a little bit boring at first, but you'll, you'll start to understand and appreciate what it is. And I think part of that too is being able to spend time with your kids throughout the day, right? You're not going off and spending 10 hours away from them being, in, uh, being at work or them going to school and doing their own thing where they come back together and then there's a conflict and a, an inability to communicate, you know? So and that's another privilege because most of us, like me, I'm blessed. I get to homeschool. I get to have them at home. I get to be present with them when we go do activities. And most moms don't like 
most of the moms I know who are working full-time, their children went into daycare at six months old and they've and been absent. What you miss is, yeah. Yeah. And it's nobody's, it's nobody's fault. It hasn't been set up like this. I don't think, I don't believe that this is conspiracy to deprive parents of contact with their children or vice versa, but it, it is an in, um, unintended consequence that is quite um, sad. And if you think back to pre-industrial revolution, so when, when most people were, were peasant farmers, you, you were just at your grandfather's or your grandmother's or your parents' knees, doing with them, looking after the cows, taking the hay, doing, you know, doing that, all that daily stuff and being part of the adventure of life together. And it wasn't like work and play were separate. The, the hugest, the most beautiful times of my childhood where I think I really am incredibly privileged was with my uncle and aunt who were two of the first organic farmers from the modern era. And they had a small dairy farm in Wales with 12 or 15, 12, 14, 15, incredible, beautiful Jersey or Jersey cows, they're, they're golden brown ones, but they were allowed to keep their horns, they're magnificent animals, and they did everything by hand. So I learned to milk and and you know, harvest the oats with a scythe and turn the hay by hand. And that was, they were very poor financially, but it was the richest part of my childhood by an incredibly long way. And then with animals, you learn clarity and kindness. And that's the same with kids. It's like no, Joe, I, I would say with, with our son, we didn't even want him necessarily to be part of our path. We, we were like hands off about that. But it's just, if you want to be with us, you need to be appropriate. Just geographically, when we're doing this, this is a quiet space and there is where you make noise. And it's really surprised us that he's come into doing something very much in, in resonance with, with what we're doing. Um, yeah. I want to so go we, back. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go, go, go. I was gonna say, I want to go back to something that you said. Oh, like you mentioned it very briefly. And I don't know if many people would know it about you, but the horses. So did the letting the animals come to you begin with your aunt and uncle? Was it something from early childhood? Or was it something that you just sort of have kindled in adulthood? That's a beautiful question. Thank you, Amy. Wow. So yeah, it was really my uncle and aunt and those cows and their dog that I used to lie lie with. Just she used to lie in the <laughs> in the out out in the kind of hallway, and I just go as a little girl and just lie down with her and just just be next to this other being and and then and the cows and learning. My aunt was really really good at teaching you had to, me how to touch. How do you touch a cow? Say, you're not a fly. She's, she used to say, you're touching her so gently. She Look at her skin, it's going like that. She thinks you're a thigh, you're a fly. Just put your hand firmly, and then she knows where you are. And then talk to her, so she knows where you are when you move around her. And, and it's such good training for massage or anything about body work. It's like, let, let, oh, I'm here. I'm not fussing around, I'm here. And, um, yeah, so my my work with my ex-mall ponies came out of that, and it's really about land, about landing with land and uh, tending land and being tended by the land, and that's a whole story. But um, I definitely know that my my ex-mall ponies, and two of them are wild-born, so they've never they were not in contact with humans for the first year of their lives. They were like like mustangs. In, in the wild with their herd and Exmoors are closest to the European wild original wild horse and they haven't been bred by by farmers they've been bred by the wild so they're more like wild deer than they're not domesticated in their psyches and if they trust you you've deserved their trust and it's moment to moment talk about mirroring like you talk about children being accurate mirrors if I'm not congruent, if I'm really upset, but I'm trying to be calm, they won't come near me. If I'm angry, but I'm trying to be calm, but if I'm honest with them, I'm not if I'm angry with them, that wouldn't work. But if I'm like, I'm having a really hard time and have a little cry or whatever, they just, they come over and they nuzzle me and they're like with me. And 
we've developed, we are developing a, a mutual trust that is, is kind of mind-blowing to me, what is actually going on in their cognition um, as I come to witness it through just w witnessing what happens if I'm like this, what happens if I'm like that, how do they react with each other, and the need for peace. And they've been the biggest teachers for me about my own nervous system. Because I get excited really easily, as you can probably tell. I get kind of fired up and there's a beauty to that. But it's not really what's needed for deep listening with ponies or, or people. And how to regulate my own nervous system. How to deal with being frightened of these massive, powerful animals who are simultaneously so sensitive. And that's... What a mirror for us as humans, we are so powerful. We really are powerful beings, each one of us, even if we don't know it, we really are powerful. To, to harm or to love, to be a force for good or inadvertently normally a, a force of destruction, we, most of us do both, um, without knowing how much love there is in us and without knowing how much violence there is in us. Um, but these horses like us are incredibly sensitive. And the level to which all the time, as humans, we're scanning the environment. Are we safe? Am I safe? And then our survival strategies come in unconsciously or pre-consciously. And we're already filtering the information we get to try and keep ourselves safe. And that comes back to what you were saying about long-term relationships and the work of including our imperfections. And that takes real courage and it takes commitment. And... That's what we noticed when we got married. Sorry, I'm going around the houses a bit, but I guess it's okay. Up. It's a free form conversation. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> tying it all so beautifully yeah. together. Yeah. It, none, it's showing how holistic your practice is. And I'm so grateful that you, you just, you literally hit all the points right now. It's amazing. And, and how the partner can be the teacher. The child can be the teacher. The wild animal can be the teacher. The self can be the teacher and how they're all so necessary within the life and how it all comes back to what you said of learning how to whoa there's the dogs um, <laughs> so they are huge teachers because they panic like you can hear it right now they're panicking and what do we do to calm them and like do we react to them or do we soothe them and what does that entail yeah i uh, i think it's also there's I love the English language, but I also get so incredibly frustrated by it because in essence, it is all an illusion. What it is that you're saying is you're forming, you're forming images in people's minds with the words that you say. So even with the, the idea of active listening, it's, there's, a, there's an aspect of knowing that comes along with it because you're conveying the idea for somebody else to, to know, correct? So with animals who don't have no, a no, language- no. Hold, hold on, tell, tell me, say that again, slow down a bit, I, I wanna get what you're saying and I didn't get it. So the English in, in, in and of itself is a way of painting with words, right? So you say something so that the images or, or the symbols are formed in someone else's mind for them to experience what it is that you're thinking. And, but there's, there's something that's lost in that in the way that we say listening, we think of listening with our ears instead of the actual full process of hearing the going through the cognition and then having it heart centered, making it so that we're actually connecting. So there's something that's, that's there as well with with animals, uh, especially over the time that we've been in lockdown. Um, my partner and I have spent so much more time with our dog. We were always very attuned. My partner Lindsay is a is a is a coach. She's a therapist. She does a lot of some. She's done a lot of somatic training. She's done a lot of um, um, child centered play therapy to help you know to help kids to kind of process through their own emotions through whatever their actions are. So to be able to spend this extra time with our dog, Chessie is just she's so much more attuned and it's gotten to the point now where she does she's like she can see how we communicate so she'll come up and put her paw on my mouth when she's hungry like she'll jump on my lap it's it's just amazing to see just in the past year how much time we've spent together in the way that we can actually communicate and that it's not a separation of you know how, like the bible says man, man having dominion over the over the plants and animals and it's it's like we're here to kind of work together dominion over the fact that maybe we can communicate with all of them and we can understand them all right so 
again, it's slightly tangential, but just the work that you do, it seems like I always, always say that. Uh, it seems like the work that you're doing with, with animals as well, with, whether it's with horses or with anything else, like there's the crossover too with energy work and how you know, Reiki can work on an animal's nervous system just the same as it can on a human being. So don't know where we can go with that, but just it's what was kind of well, popped into my head. I, I mean, that opens a whole new gate. Do you want me to go there? Just about? Yes. So, yeah. So la as we know, you know, when we're communicating, language is only a tiny percentage of the information that is passed between us. So what in embodied listening, what I talk about, whether we're listening to a horse or a dog or another human being, whether we're on Zoom or in the room together, is that you listen with your whole body and and the body and the heart and, and the mind. So the ears are there and it's very important to understand the words and to understand that I might understand the words, but I might make a different meaning from the words than the meaning you meant. So there's a checking process there that can be really important to kind of to slow that down a little bit between the words and the meaning. But then there's the embodied cognition, if you like. And if we are paying attention to what neuroscientists call our interoception, so it's different from, it's not introspection, which is thinking inside or reflecting inside, but interoception, which means our awareness of our kinesthetic sensory feelings, not emotional feelings, but physical feelings from the skin inwards. And once we start paying attention to that, it actually draws us into what I call the resonance of the, the body wand, if you like. It's like a diagnostic tool, not necessarily for what's going on in the other person, but what's going on between us. And that's one of the most magical things, which I'm very pleased to be able to use that word in this context, about embodied listening. When we start really paying attention to what's happening in our bodies, even if it doesn't seem related when the other person is speaking, we're opening a doorway to a whole nother level of um, wisdom or awareness of what's happening in the field. And it's, you know, say for example, when I'm listening to you, I get a really incredible feeling of opening in my chest and, and like a, you know, sometimes metaphors are useful. What does that feel like? Oh, it feels like a, like a, a bouquet of flowers flowering through my ribs like what's going on and if I tell you that and you go well actually I haven't been telling you but we're planning to get married or you know like something like that that's that's what often happens or if I, I actually I feel a, a clutching in my guts what's going on here what's beautiful about it is that it's it's just information it doesn't have to be evaluative I don't have to understand it but if I can find a way either to acknowledge it to myself and it's because it's not every conversation it's appropriate to go, oh, that's interesting. As you're speaking, I'm feeling a, a kind of weird gripping in my belly. But sometimes it is. But anyway, it's information. And it might be I had something, you know, funny to eat for breakfast. So it's very important not to think that it's always about the other or it's always about something between us. It might be just my, you know, something odd that I had. But, but often there's a, there's a clue there. It opens other doors for the heart, and we, we once did this thing, we did a couples course, Yakov and I teach couples work every now and again, and with this particular course a few years ago, we had two modules, and then in the middle we did a Zoom with each couple, just the two of us and the two of them, and we found that when, when a couple were taught, we were basically coaching communication between the couple. When one of them said something, and if the other one could say, as I hear you say that, this is what I feel in my body, not my heart, but my body, there was a, it was as if the, you could kind of see it, as if the communication actually landed. And there was something beautifully non-evaluative about it. It wasn't even, it makes me feel happy, it makes me feel sad. It just, it gives me this, this feeling in my body when you say that. It's like, oh, it, it landed with you. It's funny, this thing about land and body, 
I always think of our bodies, our allotment, and it's like our allotment of land. This is my land. This is my terroir, you know, to use a French word, my, my territory. This is my bit of earth to, to look after whilst I'm here, and that also looks after me. Um, yeah. So I've, I've kind of come to a full stop right now, but... Um, That's all right. Uh, well, I think that's uh, it's interesting too, just from a magical perspective. Um, you know, we think of water as being emotion, and that's it's always constantly moving. Sometimes it's settled, and it's, it seems like it's deep. Thought is air, so it's always up in the up in this. And then, literally, I feel like w what you're saying too, from a from a somatic standpoint, it is the combination of all those things where it does finally get cemented. It becomes firm firm into the physical form so that's like that and earth is just as magic as as all of the other things are we we spend a lot of time thinking like the ethereal is more uh important than the actual grounded aspect but um i that's i think that's true too that like literally we think of feeling as being watery or emotional and when you when you feel something and you know it like when those two things can go hand in hand it doesn't always happen you may be feeling something and it feels like a dysregulation or you may think something and you may be thinking dysregulated, but when you feel it and you know it and they come together, then it's really that you've achieved whatever the goal is of communicating the thing or, or um, integrating whatever the aspect is that you're trying to process. And there's, and there's, there's, there's the thinking at the, there's the conceptual level of articulating it as an image or in words, and there's the, this is the way I see it, the, mm -hmm. the emotion of it, um, which for me would be fire or water or fire. You know, there's the more passionate kind of feelings, right. and the more watery kind of feelings. And, and they, they, that's like two aspects in a very simple map. Um, and then, there's, as you say, there's the earth of the body, which, yeah, I think if we start thinking that the ethereal is more important than the manifest, we are in big, big trouble. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not that we're in big trouble, we're just in, impotent. That is, it's like, where do you want to go with that? Like, do we want heaven on earth or do we want heaven somewhere else? If you want right. heaven on earth, you have to focus on the roots as well as the branches. Like the, you know, a tree has equal roots to branches. And, and unless we get that, that the physical manifest, like how we are with you know, economics or how we include the people that have less money or how we take care of all of us on earth, including the plants and the animals and, and all of our humans, our family, we just like, we can't build what what this could be until we really take care of basics. But right. in alliance with the ethereal visionary, it's like, and that has happens through the heart and the body. And, and I think often the body does get missed out. It's like mm -hmm. we get heart, but we forget that heart is rooted in body. How do we know what we're feeling? It's because we can feel our bodies. That's how we know what we're feeling. It's the bringing together of the of the two polarities too, because materialist reductionists would say that only the physical form is important, and then spiritual woo woos think that only the <laughs> spiritual woo woo stuff is important. And I think again that comes back to where it's meeting in heart center, right? It's the combination of the two things. We have to have manifest form to be able to appreciate all of these aspects. So. Yeah. yeah, a friend exactly. of mine yeah. always says you can only be as spiritual as you are grounded. You can only go as high as you want if you're willing to go as deep. And I, I love the tree of life dance that um, you and Yakov do where, where it, you're stretching up as far as you stretch down and the two meet and, and they meet on the outside and they meet on the inside. It's as above, so below, as within, so without. And it's just all in that center space and the heart is it. The heart is there. Um, I hate to end this conversation, but we are almost at time because this has been so lovely. And I feel like my heart is just falling in love with you, Suzanne. I feel, <laughs> You're I feel super good. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I could go on forever. Um, is there anything that you feel like you want to leave people with? We'll put links for sure in the show notes to the Embodied Listening course and to more information for being able to work with you all. I know Study Hub enrollment has closed but you'll probably open it it will be opening in the new year yeah. for a quiet opener but if people go on to 21gratitudes.com and enroll there so you'll hear about it when we do the next quiet opening and then the next big opening is sometime in the spring but okay. there will be a, 
for those people on the <laughs> <laughs> which is great it's such a valuable resource and i know some people in the states might wonder because we have a lot of listeners in the states um how would it work because you all are in such a different time zone and for me um i actually appreciate it as a mom because i can wait until the babies are to bed and watch the recording and really drop in deep or i can put it on i can be dancing around and they're like mom's dancing and we'll dance with her right yeah so it weaves yeah. in and out and it's totally doable um thank you that yeah our intention is that it's globally available and so that's why we move the life class around time wise so that different people from the far east on, and from america can join in live but it's all recorded and people are doing it from all over the world using the recordings and it, it's working really well so really glad to hear that yeah. well I think, first of all, I want to thank you both and really, really enjoying this talk. And I could, we could go on rapping. I have so much to share. And I just really, glorying also just to witness your collaboration and such a, such a beautiful flow between you. And thank you very, very much. I'm very happy to be here with you and with you who are listening. And I think what, in terms of my last thought, I'd like to share with you the, both of you and the listeners, is just to know that your attention is medicine. Your attention for yourself, for your own body, for your heart, for your breath, for your, your vision, for your action, your accountability, your acknowledgement of your imperfection and, and taking the steps you can towards showing up as the love that you are in your own particular way is medicine. And in this time of the pandemic, particularly and always, your attention for each other, for the you know the old lady you meet on the street or the in the shop or on the bus or on Zoom, when you really look into someone's eyes and and say something to them, and I am going to talk about words because in England anyway we are wearing face masks when we're out. I was in town today and like you can't you know it was like here and then your voice is muffled so i actually speak a lot with my hands and it's like i'm saying to people you exist when when you when i really look in your eyes and and I affirm you i love the dress you're wearing today you know something that's warm and appreciative what we're actually saying on a ex existential level is you exist and i acknowledge your existence and that's what so many of us are missing right now because there isn't the normal social congregation that that there is a normal life and and I think it's very important that we remember and and that we we give each other that warmth of mutual recognition and mutual upholding so that we don't go into the other way of getting our dose of oxytocin is to form up an alliance of us against them that's the other way that you can get that nice warm feeling in your tummy is to form an us that is acting against the nasty them and that is toxic and it's dangerous and it's happening so deeply right now this we didn't get to talk about so i wanted to just boot it in there and so when you are affirming another person's being and that they exist and they have goodness in them, even if you disagree with them politically, that they are an, a being who has a right to be here on this earth and who is here right now. You exist, I see you, I hear you, your voice matters, for example, or whatever it is. We are, we are um, kind of rolling back from that horrible edge of us and them, which is so pernicious and I think really is a signal of how desperate we are to have that feeling of we, of connection. So any way you can affirm somebody else and affirm yourself that you exist, that you matter, that you have, your being makes a difference, um, I think is medicine for this time and never, ever um, pretend that you're, that you don't have any power as, you know, um, Anita Roddick, who started the body shop, said, you know, a mosquito tells us through how powerful they are. If you're in a room with a mosquito at night, it's very small, but it's very powerful. 
like all of us make a difference and um, if you use the power you've got whether it's on a one or a thousand it's how you use the power you've got that that matters I think when you face your maker at the end of life it's going to be what you did with what you had that mattered not how much you had to begin with and what you did with that um, or you know that's slightly muddled myself up there but you know what I'm saying is use what you've got and it will grow use your power that you do have and it will grow and use it in accordance to who you really 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 want to be and if you reflect on that daily you can do that with the embodied listening course with yourself or you can do it just however you want um, I I'm sure your life will have even more meaning than it already does and I think that's what we're all longing for ultimately is to feel the dignity of living a life that has meaning according to us according to your own soul your own blueprint your own sense of what is right and good and I wish you all courage all love all compassion and all joy in that path and I'm very happy to be able to share this with you thanks to these two amazing hosts and um, there we go that, that was, was the most beautiful closing thank you so yeah. much Diana. <laughs> that's all right thank yeah. you for giving me the chance to to communicate really really a blessing thank you all right <sighs>